All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Got your Money Wise guys back inside the Money Wise studio with me for this weekend show. I have my brother Jeff, Joe Rust, and I am your host, Kyle Davidson. For any new listeners to the Money Wise program, Davidson Capital Management is a fee-only registered investment advisor. We're in our 33rd year of business, and with offices in San Antonio and Corpus Christi, we have your investment management needs covered throughout Central and South Texas. And if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at DavidsonCap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. Well, as we kick off every weekend's Money Wise program, I turn it over to my brother, Jeff, to go into the numbers from Wall Street from last week. So, Jeff, take it away. Okay, in the week just passed, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was down 1,329 points, or 4.1%. The S&P 500 last week was down about 194 points, or 4.8%. And the NASDAQ last week was down about 664 points, or 5.5%. Now, for the year-to-date, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is down 15.2%. The S&P 500 year-to-date is down 18.7%. And the NASDAQ year-to-date is down 26.8%. So I've got a question. After this week and the performance of the market, is the Biden administration planning another celebration uh, breaking them, breaking their own arms, patting themselves on the back for a job well done like they did on Tuesday. I'm sorry, I just got to jump in with both. I mean, we can't even get wow. 10 seconds into the show and Kyle is taking a political shot, Joe. What do you think? Uh, I could probably see that coming. I mean, it's <laughs> another proverbial victory I, lap. Is a I, will, I will say this. I did see when I was prepping for the show and I put in my search for the consumer price index, which we'll get to in a minute. Uh, there was something in that came up on my, on my Google search that statement from the president. And I was thinking I should print this out because I bet you he's going to try somehow, whatever this statement was somehow sugarcoat that CPI number that came out on Wednesday, that was good for a 1200 point down day, the worst down day since, G- since June, of, June 2020. of 2020. Yep. So more than two years Tuesday, since the, on Tuesday, yeah, on right. Tuesday. Since the Dow had been down that much in a single day, I I should have printed it, but I'm I'm kind of glad I didn't because that had just lit up Kyle even more, and we would spend the whole hour of the show talking well, politics. I mean, which he, if look, Dad was here, if Dad was here, he would definitely fill up the entire time talking. So politics. really, what we could say is the highlight of last week when they kicked off that with. Biden and James Taylor singing, you got a friend in the background. That doesn't apply to the Fed right now, does it? 
<laughs> well, and it well, doesn't right you know. do it. Okay, and it, and it does, and it doesn't apply to it doesn't apply to the Biden administration either. I mean, to say tone deaf is 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 very is a very nice thing, a nice way of putting it, how tone deaf that they are in the administration. And if you want to start getting to the press secretary, I mean, just the bold-faced lies to the American people. And the American people understand this, and I don't care which side of the aisle you sit on. Everyone's affected by gas prices. Everyone's affected by food prices. Everyone's affected by empty shelves. Everyone is affected. It doesn't matter what your political bent is. And the bottom line is elections, people vote their wallets. So if people are voting their wallets, then I think each and every person listening to this program knows what they need to do in November is you need to vote your wallet. You need to vote your family's budget. Complete but, ineptitude okay. out of and, Washington. And I and I don't and I don't disagree with you, Kyle, but do any of us believe that even if the Republicans sweep Congress that it's going to make a hill of beans difference in terms of changing whatever the economic realities are come November. I really don't think, I, I don't think that's going to happen because what got us here happened a couple of years ago, right? What got this us is here true, is the free money and, but, and the Z, the, but the zero interest rate policies of 14 years, you know, the chickens are coming home to roost. I would also say that you, you look at the charts and, you know, the markets have had a had a tremendous run off those June lows where we went, went 60, 65% up from those lows, meaning we made up more than half of the distance that we had gone yes. down in a very short period of time. And so, so, so to me, there was a lot of, in, there was a lot of investors, whether or not I, mean, I use that in quotations, you can't see it because it's radio. There was a lot of traders to be quite honest with you that put, quite a bit of money in looking for a better than expected CPI number and they didn't get it. And when they didn't get it, what happened? They exited stage left in a hurry. The algos took us up algorithms, the algorithms, this computerized trading took us back the other way. And and what, and what actually happened on Tuesday was there was a lot of leveraged call buying that took place at the end of the previous week in anticipation of the CPI report that came out on Tuesday, September the 13th. They got the bet wrong, and they had to unwind it, and they had to unwind it very quickly. That's why we saw the Dow Jones Industrial Average being down almost 1,300 points. And this is, again, where I've got to take a little exception. I mean, I'm, I'm a Fox watcher. I'm sure anyone, longtime listener, knows that we watch Fox. But I have to take a little exception with, with Sean Hannity here recently. And just I understand, he and he admits that he is a talk show host. But some of the inflammatory language he was using about the stock market, I know it's politically charged, but what actually happened on Tuesday was the unwinding of call option trades. That's all it was because we didn't see the follow through the following day because on Wednesday, the market was actually positive. So this was just trading. Does it feel good? Absolutely not. Do investors like to see it? Absolutely not. Do we like to see it? No. But that is what actually occurred on Tuesday. It wasn't an abundance of institutional money managers and individual investors all heading for the exit. And you know how I know that? By looking at the volume. Well, and the volume was not off the charts. It was the unwinding of call option trades on Tuesday. Light, but then you have Friday, you have the other Fed, which is FedEx, getting punished because of earnings <laughs> being down 20, what, what, 20 
what do I have a twenty one percent or something like that on Friday, mm-hmm. and. But what that does that mean? Global yeah. economy. That that's well, also an indicator, and that's why the market sold off a little bit Friday. But but, and, but let's anyway. remember, Joe. FedEx has a new CEO that's coming in. He doesn't possibly have his complete bearings of what's going on at FedEx. So you've got this global economic situation. Hey, this is an opportunity to lower the bar. And boy, did he lower the bar for himself and FedEx with that forward guidance? Because they interviewed U- UPS. And guess what UPS said? They reaffirmed their guidance, which was not that dire. But that was definitely the other Fed for FedEx on Friday, what caused the selling on Friday. Well, let's take our first commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So if you're just tuning into this weekend's MoneyWise program, continuing our recap of the happenings of Wall Street from last week. And before we went to break, I was just making a comment about Sean Handy. Now, I'm a, I'm a fan of Sean Hannity. You know, I definitely agree with a lot of his viewpoints. I would just say this past week, he was just using a little bit too much of inflammatory language when it came to the stock market and what happened, particularly on Tuesday, not truly understanding the mechanisms that caused the market, particularly the Dow, to be down almost 1,300 points. And when you have this kind of inflammatory language, it's very important for our for all of our listeners, investors to understand, you have to take this information with a grain of salt. You know, we ran into the same situation with Glenn Beck during the financial crisis of just inflaming emotions. And as we've talked about on this program going back for 16 years is that investor emotions can do more damage to your portfolio and in your portfolio than the stock market ever can or will. So you just have to take this information with a grain of salt because he admits that he is a talk show host, and I applaud him for being very open and honest with it, and I agree with a lot of the things he says. It's just the inflammatory language when it comes to the stock market in particular. I just wish he was a little bit more tempered and understood the mechanisms that cause certain market movements on certain days instead of trying to create panic. I understand he has a political he has political motivation to do that, but it's just important for all of our listeners to understand that because well, I, had, you, I had a conversation with one of our clients that's been with us for years on Friday, and she was hearing you know comments coming out of J.P. Morgan or comments coming out of Morgan Stanley, Stanley analysts and all these different analysts trying to handicap the market and what the Fed is going to do and what the Ford guidance is, and you know it. it didn't get her emotional, but she's like, you know what? She's like, I want to talk to Kyle. I want to talk to the Davidson Cap guys and, and get the kind of straight skinny of how they see it because all these analysts talk their book, and it's important for all of our listeners to understand. Joe? Well, also, you have to understand all these analysts right now, and we had a conversation on Friday about this, they all have different opinions. And mm-hmm. so they all have dramatically different opinions. Are we going to go into recession? Are we not? All right, is it the time to buy stocks? Is it not? What's going on with the bond market? Is it time to start buying bonds finally and getting some decent yield out of them? They all have 
different opinions. Just and like us. Just like yeah. us. I mean, we're independent. You know, that's the great thing about the firm is we're independent. We have a, a different point of view. Yes, we could, we follow different analysts. We watch them, but we come up with our own conclusions, not always predicated on what somebody says because we don't, we don't talk our book. All right. We, we don't have an actual. That's right. There. Well, so, and we use, we use our experience. This is the art portion of money management that dad has been teaching all of us from the very beginning of the founding of this firm is that managing money is an art and a science. It's a combination of the two and the art you have to learn and perfect as you have years of experience in the trenches, making real decisions with real money in real time. Jeff, I, I kind of well, thing I was going to say about you know Hannity and Beck and really the entire conservative radio universe, especially on the advertising side, um, they're all pushing gold. They're pushing equity indexed annuities, reverse uh, mortgages. They're they're pushing, um, and now I'm hearing a lot of more ads for private uh, private placement, you know, private real estate partnerships. Uh, and so all of the they're preying the, on fear. The inflate the the inflated rhetoric regarding uh, you're going to lose all your money if you have any money invested in the stock market. Uh, but I've, next thing you know, the next ad is for gold, or it's for private real estate investment, or it's for an equity indexed annuity show. <clears throat> so it's all it, it's all pre it's very planned. You know, and it and it so they may not be talking. They're talking their advertising book when they when they go off the rails like that. So I, I don't I, I don't think our listeners uh, I think our listeners are smarter than to 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 fact to filter out if you will uh, that kind of entertainment. I mean, these guys are entertainers, you know, and a lot and, of times prey on fear, and they prey on that, fear and emotion because because the fear pushes them towards their what advertisers' products. Yeah, yeah. It, it's, and it's, without it's, those advertisers' products, they would have no forum for their for their radio show. That's right. Well, so it's, it's amazing how journalism has just the pendulum has swung so far in journalism, where you have, you know, in Rush Limbaugh, uh, you know, God, God rest his soul, brought, brought it into this, and, and you know, one thing. On our, by the way, Lowry Mays, San Antonio passed away this last month, and he actually helped found WAI, Peer Channel Communications. It was kind of an innovator in the industry that brought some of this talk show radio to the forefront. I forgot to mention that. So, you know, it's 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 changed. It's morphed where you're not always getting the facts. You're getting somebody's agenda and somebody's narrative, and it's either far right or far left. And it's hard to find that center ground these days if you're looking for it. You know? Well, I think I think what we've always preached on this program is you have to dig deeper. You can't take things for face value. You can listen to us and our guidance and what our opinions are. You know, fact check. Dig deeper. Don't just take our word for it. I mean, yeah, we've got decades and decades of experience combined that you're listening to every weekend. But dig deeper. Don't take even what we say at face value. You know, you, you always have to question. You can't just say, oh, well, this product's going to give me all the upside and none of the downside. Boy, where do I sign without digging deeper? I mean, this is what you have to do as a consumer, and there's so many tools available today to be able to do the research and analysis free of charge. You just have to take the time to educate yourself. But I just, again, I'm a fan of Sean Handy. I just, when I hear that inflammatory language it just it can cause emotion, it can cause panic, it can cause fear, 
And so I just want to tell all of our listeners to take it with a grain of salt. And if you've got a question, if you have a question, something you hear that you want to learn more about, you can always email the MoneyWise guys at moneywise at davidsoncap.com. If there's a subject that you want to hear us educate or talk about or get our opinion about it, send us an email. We love to hear from our listeners and even a show idea. We don't talk about that often. You know, we love to hear from our listeners say, hey, guys, can you talk about this? Can you teach us about that? Let us know. Yeah, Joe. Well, we were talking about, you know, 12 horrific investor mistakes, I think, last week or the week before. And, you know, we talked about fees. And you have to remember your investment advisor, you're paying them a fee. And, and, and we all know this. Part of our fee is actually to be a therapist and say, look, feel free to call us. We're going to give you our take on it, you know, not the we're tedious take. Yeah, we're a sounding board. I, I mean, no. I, I can tell you during the financial crisis, I mean, Jeff and I both had couches in our office for a reason. If clients were really <laughs> upset, we'd say, come in and why don't you lie down? You know, and we would we would have to be therapists from time to time during the financial crisis. Now, I will say, and we've talked about it on this program, we've just seen a lot more uh, investors just emotionally in check and staying very calm. And that's not just our client base, but across the industry, I've been reading reports where everyone's like, wow, the client base is just very content. They're very in, in charge. They understand markets go up, markets go down, but the, the long-term performance of the market is up and to the right, long-term. And everyone's being very patient. So I applaud all investors for remaining patient. Um, Man, it seems like we got into investor education right from the get from this program because we had, you know, some big data points that came out this past week. I know we wanted to talk about the CPI. I don't know if you wanted to do it before the commercial break, Jeff. Catch it on the other side. We got a a couple minutes here. Prices rose 8.3% from a year earlier. That was from the Consumer Price Index released on Tuesday. It was slightly better than July's 8.5% year-over-year change, but the rate was not as much of a moderation as economists had expected as rent costs, restaurant meals, and medical care uh, became more expensive, compounding the bad news, a core measure of inflation that strips out gas and food to get a sense of underlying price trends accelerated more than forecast, and that that news was good for a 4.3% decline in the S&P 500 on Tuesday, as we'd said, the biggest decline since June of 2020. Uh, so clearly that, that number caught people off guard. And so now the handicapping for next week's rate increase was in full motion. So I, I actually heard. I actually, you, know, I've heard more than one mention of of a full percent increase next week uh, on the table. The vast majority of people are saying three quarters of a percent, which is what they've done the previous two meetings. Uh, I personally think they probably won't do one percent, and the reason is because there hasn't been any any news leaked from any Fed governor saying, "Oh, we might do one percent," like like happened. Oh, with the previously. Wall Street Journal. Oh, with the Wall Street Journal. Yeah, but but so, I, I, we're all in agreement on the seventy-five basis point or th- three quarters of one percent increase. I think the odds this past week, the handicapping got up to about a thirty to thirty-five percent odds that it was going to be one percent. But I just don't think we're going to see that because we are starting to see some effect 
of the Fed interest rate increases that we've already seen this year. And we're starting to see that show up, obviously, in housing and mortgage applications. We're seeing that in some of the industrial commodities. I know we're coming up to a break, so I'll pause. We'll pick this up on the other side. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. You Money Wise guys will be back after the break. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at one 800 275 2162 if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps, where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So you're just tuning into this weekend's MoneyWise program. Jeff was just going over the consumer price index numbers that came out on Tuesday in conjunction with almost a 1,300-point decrease um, in the Dow Jones Industrial Average, 4.3% uh, retraction in the S&P 500. Again, a lot of that done due to the unwinding of heavy leveraged call options that were bought the previous week uh, and those traders being on the wrong side of the CPI number and having to unwind those trades. And it's very much obvious because the following day, there was no follow-through on the selling. So this was not an exorbitant amount of institutional, uh, longer-term money managers or retail clients heading for the exits because it's, it, it's very obvious in the daily volume on that Tuesday how much volume was traded. It was slightly above average, but nothing off the charts, which you would normally see if there was a mass exodus out the door like volume levels we saw back during the dot-com bubble bursting was nothing like that. But, you know, the one thing we were talking about is what we saw the rest of this past week was the handicapping, the market the market handicapping whether the Fed would possibly raise interest rates on Wednesday, next Wednesday, September the 21st, or this coming Wednesday, to a one full percent. Now, I think we all agree it's going to be three-quarters of 1% or 75 basis point increase on Wednesday. Obviously, every word coming out of Chairman Powell's mouth is going to be dissected to an inch of its life. Hopefully, he's learned not to use the P word, and that P word is pain. But we have started to see some results in the interest rate increases that they have already made. And I was making that comment before we went to the bottom of the hour break. We've well, seen... I, I, sorry to interrupt, Kyle. Me, you, I wholeheartedly disagree. No, I'm not, because I'm going to read this quote to you. Oh, for In, one person's it, opinion. Inflation is far too high, and it is too soon to say whether inflation is moving meaningfully and persistently downward. This is from one of the Fed governors after the, after the number was announced. Which governor? Christopher Waller. This is a fight we cannot and will not walk away from. Mm -hmm. That's one vote. He's one vote of an entire board That's of probably, I would not be surprised if that particular statement, it's maybe there's a, new, there's a new P word that may be coming next week, and it's the word persistent, in that inflation has continued to be persistently high. And you okay. may hear it, it may not be pain, 
that you hear about him talking about next week. I think you're, you may be you may be hearing the word twice. Pers- for sure. That's right. He, and that and that the the Fed will be persistent and continuing to stick to their guns that they are going to fight inflation, whatever it takes. And we will not hear about uh, changing their mandate to four percent next week. We will not hear that. And so we all we the persi- that we will hear persistent probably many times in the Fed governor's speech. And seventy-five basis points, bet the house on it. I agree. And and, and depending on how hawkish, you know, the 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 shotgun's going to come out again, and then we're killing some doves with the Fed governor's speech. You know, you might be able to just pencil it in. It's going to be seventy-five on the next one too. Okay. And so so let me ask you this question, Jeff. Do Federal fund rate increases, is it an immediate effect on the economy or is it a lagging effect? Does it have a lagging effect? Well, the the consensus comments from all the commentators say that there is a lagging effect when it comes to raising federal funds rates. Okay. That, that's That's been the conventional wisdom. Okay. So mortgage applications, are they at 22-year high or 22-year low? I don't think the Federal Reserve cares about mortgages. I thought that they were trying to break the housing markets back. We've what, what did I what, it, what did I say months ago that the Federal Reserve was saying that there that what was too high? House prices were too high. Better coming too down. many too many too many employee there's there's inflation oh, pardon me. Employment. Unemployment rate is too low. Gas too prices were working. Ga- that's right. I'm just, I'm just, I, I'm okay. just, I know. I, That's what the Fed's saying, that there's too many yeah. people working. We need yeah. to have more unemployed. And, and that stocks were overvalued. They're not saying this, but they're just, they're saying financial assets were overvalued. We're not even back to mine. We were down 22% in the S&P 500 at the lows this year, if the memory serves me correctly. Right. Something like that. Right, yeah. Right okay. about 20, right let's about. say 23, 22, 23. <clears throat> So, you know, to say that the, the stock market as a whole, you know, is down 18%, I mean, that's not that, – that's a far cry from 2008's minus 37 on the S&P 500. But that was a whole – for a whole different reason. That I understand for a whole reason. different reason. And the but Fed I, doesn't but make the interest Fed, rate okay. – hold on. The Fed does not make interest rate decisions because the stock market's too high or the stock market is too well, low. Well, okay. Oh, oh, oh really? Because you're going to tell me, yeah, well, they they don't. The Fed Fed is focused on if if the Fed interest rate increases has a lagging effect, they wanted to help bring home home prices down. Totally agree with you on that point. We're seeing mortgage applications at 22-year lows. We saw mortgages this past week with a six handle on them, which we have not seen in years. But from a historic standpoint, some of our listeners are laughing, like 6% mortgage. What about mortgages in the late 70s or the early 80s? They would have killed for a 6% mortgage. But everything is relative to this day and time. You can look at industrial commodities. I'm looking at industrial commodity index right now, and it has been coming down since July high, and it's on the same trajectory lower. So the Fed has to be very careful. They can't press it too far because that is a lagging effect in the overall economy every time they raise rates. So there's going to become a point in time where they're like, you know what, we're just going to have to pause 
not saying they're going to cut, but we're going to pause and we're going to allow these interest rate increases, decisions that we've made to fully take hold in the economy. Now, if unemployment goes from 3.6 to 5%, the three of us know when we were sitting in Econ 101 in college that 5 to 6% unemployment was still considered full employment. But I don't think the Fed wants to, de- to destroy the job market when there's still so many people that should be working that aren't. Going to three from three and a half to five is not going to destroy the job market. That's true. That that that's true. Here's here's a, here's a question. Mm-hmm. Are stocks still going down on bad news? They as far as well, it depends. Company on comes news. out. Company comes out and makes makes it. You know, FedEx on Friday. Yep. Adobe on Wednesday, although that had that was Investors totally didn't like the premium they paid for yeah, a they, competitor they, they, they bought. They paid, that was they it. Pay, but the, they, and they just destroyed the stock. But everyone's but all the all the so traders my, right now my question are is, on a hot tin. Yeah, my question is, we're four weeks away from the beginning of third quarter earnings season, and I saw GE came out after hours talked about their cash flow was going to be a, a less than expected. We don't own GE. Don't know you know. I no couldn't tell you the last stock. time we owned it. It's been a long time. It's probably the decades. They make a good washer dryer combo. There's been this. <laughs> there's been this. This debate among uh, the bulls and the bears whether the the bad news is priced into stocks. And you know, there's a couple of examples. We'll, we'll just focus on FedEx for a second. Uh, yeah, great. You know, it, it's definitely uh, benefited from what happened during COVID. Mm-hmm. And uh, now the chickens are coming home to roost because COVID is not uh, as big a factor in their business now. And they they come out. It and is in China. Some guy, it is in China. They come, okay. They come out and give some not so great guidance, and the and the stock's down what fourteen percent, something like that. Oh um, no, it got hammered. Friday. I mean, More so so you know, what happens if an Apple comes out and 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 gives a little bit lower guidance on profit because this new iPhone and all these other products they announced here in the last week really aren't that much different than the previous products, though people are standing in line for them right and left because they're being released. I think on, some of them are being released on Friday. You know, one if one of those companies comes out and gives a not-so-great outlook, you know, is all the bad news priced into those stocks? And I yeah, I just don't think that all the bad news is necessarily priced into every stock. And we, we saw a great example of that here with, uh, with FedEx here in the last week. And, and even though the, even the market, markets were down almost 5% this week, what was up? Interest rates were up. Yields were up this week. So you would think on a, on a, on a week like this that you see yields going down in, in, in fixed income instruments and they weren't. They were actually going up. Uh, so I know that we get this big debate also in, in the office about whether we think that, uh, we've reached, say, peak interest rates, peak yields on the 10 year treasury. And I know we're running out of time. So when we come back. It's the second round of fight night on money wise. More Fed talk. More Fed talk. That's right. I mean, Joe, I think Joe's going to have to get one of those ring bells in his office and just hit it with a hammer every time he knows we're getting ready to to go back and forth. 
you know. You need to wear a bow tie, Joe, for the next show. All right, let's take a commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys. You can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll free at 1 800 275 2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. Don't forget, you can subscribe to the Moneywise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So, we're in our last segment of the first hour of this weekend's Moneywise program. Um, I know, Joe, you like to call it the uh, Moneywise fight. I guess it's fight afternoon since the show is <laughs> being broadcast Saturday afternoon. Um, but, but again, I mean, as we've always done on this program that we're pulling the curtain back. I mean, these are the conversations that three portfolio managers have, you know, multiple times a week because everyone's trying to handicap. And I know Joe, this is something you've talked about on this program. Well, we did, Jeff and I were talking about it Friday and we had a long, long, long portfolio, uh, meeting meeting Friday. Friday morning, and before we go, I go Michael Buffer and do my best Michael Burf, Buffer impersonation for fight night. It is a very challenging environment, and there's a lot of different things that are going on. You have you have inflation. You have interest rates going up. It's extremely challenging to pick any sector in the stock market, all right? I mean, healthcare and industrial seem to be holding up better th- than everything else. You've Oil. got a war. You have geopolitical risk. You have... Energy fluctuation, which is part of the geopolitical risk. Um, you have supply chain issues. We haven't heard anything this week about China shutting down because of COVID. That's hey, that's one less thing we got to worry about for the week. And everything is data dependent, and everything is dependent on a daily basis on what's going on in the market. And the challenge with all three of us and a lot of portfolio management teams um, is what are the next steps you need to take and how do you protect your clients and try to keep them focused on their long-term goals. But we'll go into fight night. I'm ready to roll. Let's, let's get ready well, to rumble. Well, if you, well, want. well, you brought up, you brought up an important point, you know, about the difficulty. This is why active asset management is such a key. I'm reviewing a prospective client in San Antonio. I'm reviewing their portfolio. And as I'm going through this portfolio, something I haven't seen on a statement from the legacy distribution system, I don't think I can really remember too often where they actually state when they bought it, how long ago they bought it. And I'm reviewing this portfolio, portfolio after portfolio, where these positions were bought almost four and a half years ago. And that's it. Bought and forgotten about. And for this prospective client to have around a 30% total stock allocation, but to be down almost 18% because of their fixed income and the fact it was bought, held, and forgotten about and the lack of active management has cost this particular prospective client almost 18% of their portfolio. This is, where, this is why active management is such a key and why we preach and provide that education. You have to have active management because the market is a very fickle animal. And like Joe said, it's always data dependent and can turn on a dime. Yeah, Joe. Well, you got three asset classes, stocks, bonds, cash. The majority of what we talked about Friday, almost the entire section, which we haven't 
gone in this step before was what to do in the fixed income market, how to take advantage of yields that may be higher, that can provide some stability, risk-free rate of return. And that's a challenge for all of us because we all have maybe slightly different opinions on when we think interest rates have peaked out. You know, or I mean, when they're none, going to none, peak. None of us have a crystal ball. None of us can say definitively at what time is the Fed. When, when are we going to have some fun when the Fed is done, if you will? And that's, Well, but when it, t- when it comes to the stock market, there's history going back to the 1920s that the stock market t- typically turns and starts recovering months before the Federal Reserve is done raising interest rates. And that's history that goes back to the 1920s. Now, were there periods during this time period where the market kind of moved sideways or didn't do much for a period of time, the months leading up to the Fed finally ending their interest rate hiking cycles? Sure. But more often than not, two to three months before they stop, the market starts to recover. Do you know what seems to be different, though, about this time? Is that the economy as a whole doesn't feel like it's really in a recession because of the way way the way these these unemployment numbers are so low yeah mm-hmm. i know i understand housing definitely recession mm-hmm. i i got that um what other industries are in a recession well yeah, that's 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 what's yeah. different about this sure. is it doesn't feel like we're not you know we we haven't heard though we've talked about it mostly from me i will admit we haven't heard big, you know, big layoff announcements from from a wide number of companies. The earnings that we just had here in this this past quarter came in a little bit better than expectations. We really haven't seen, uh, you know, earnings fall out of bed as you might expect. So, it, with the Fed raising is the pace at which the Fed is raising rates, and what we've gotten to now, we're at. We're at rates we haven't seen in what more than ten years, something like that. But the economy, it hasn't doesn't seem to have been really reflected in the economy yet because we don't see that really coming from a wide swath of corporate America. Yeah, yeah, we heard it from FedEx here in the last week. Yeah, we heard a little something from GE after hours on Friday. You know, are we going to start to hear that in the next quarter, next quarter's earnings? That yeah, we're starting to see this turn. And then we're going to start reflecting that in our outlook. And, and the companies start talking about it. Is it truly been priced in the stocks? Or are we going to, are we going to threaten or go below that low that we had, had here in June, which the, the statistics show that Joe had pointed out to us going back 72 years that we should not go below that low based on that statistic we talked about a few, a few shows ago. As far as the retracement is, is concerned. So, but 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 back to your thing, Jeff. I agree with you. It doesn't feel like. I mean, technically, yes, we're in a recession. Two negative quarters, you know, negative GDP growth over two quarters. But you know, when you look at the consumer, the consumer's still out there buying, albeit maybe less, or they've shifted from buying shifted. prime rib to maybe ground chuck. So they they've shifted their purchasing of what they're buying. But I, I still go back to the money supply, and the money supply has actually increased. You know, from, you know, you go back to May, June, July, the money supply has actually been increasing. And so the chart is actually ticking a little bit higher. So people are still saving money and still have 
enough money in their coffers to continue to go out there and consume, even at these inflated prices. And as we've talked about on this program, is the excess savings going to outlast monetary inflation to be moving down and let the Fed's interest rate increases that they've done finally take hold. But I think we've all kind of said on last program that the Fed is most likely in the seventh inning stretch of their of the rate hiking cycle. I would say worst case scenario for Joe and I is first quarter of 2023 they'll be done. Jeff, I know you're a little bit longer out in the second quarter. But once the Fed, I think, pauses and goes into a holding pattern with interest rate increases, that is going to give the chance for the stock market, which should have already started to do some partial recovering. And this is the reason why we're just very slowly, incrementally adding at a very slow pace into the equity side of the market. So I know we would have a lot more to say. We'll have to pick this up on next weekend show because we're coming up at the top of the hour break. We're going to take the break, go into the news. When we come back, we'll be diving into the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program and continuing with investor education. So stay tuned, and we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after the news. All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. I've got my father, John, my brother, Jeff. I'm your host, Kyle Davidson, and we are diving into the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program. Now, if you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906 906- zero zero seven zero or toll free at one eight hundred two seven five two one six two and if you have an investment related question or topic you'd like for us to discuss here on the money wise program you can send all your emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com if you missed the first hour of money wise you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com click on the radio show link where you can listen to today's show as well as past money wise programs You can also subscribe to our iTunes feed by clicking on the blue note in the upper right-hand corner of our homepage at DavidsonCap.com. Thank you, Jeff. You're welcome. Well, it's about time. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you for your politeness. Well, as we we like to use and utilize uh, the second hour of every weekend's Money Wise program, really going into investor education, and just, again, the continuing education that all investors need to be paying attention to because with the multitude of investment choices, the multitude of sales outlets, I should say, uh, to be buying different financial products, um, we feel it's our duty having a voice and having this radio show to, to continue to provide that, that education. And there is an article that we've had for some time. We've talked about it on past shows, but it's always good to to reiterate. And it's a conversation I know that I have with prospective clients when it comes to investing. Um, and the, the title of the article is The Best Investment Advice Ever. <laughs> now, there's so much different advice out there, different guidance, different forms and levels of education out there. Um, you know, looking at this article, there's a very old saying 
that I know we have used from day one in a course with us, uh, you know, being in this, having Davidson Capital Management for more than 25 years and, and again, this radio show going on now in our 10th year. Um, looking at, at rule number one for the best investment advice ever, and that first rule is never lose money. Rule number two, don't forget rule number one. And I believe that uh, that was one of Warren Buffett's famous advice. And, of course, Warren Buffett being one of the richest men in the world, um, I think uh, it's good It's good words to live by. And, and when I sit down with prospective clients, the one the one area, again, of education I like to focus on is teaching a prospective client that it's not as much how well you do on the upside when the market is going up. It's how shallow you keep your hole on the downside. It's it's whoever plays the best defense is what's really going to build long-term wealth and longevity of a portfolio. Rule This rule number one, don't you think it's kind of unrealistic to say never lose money? Well, and, and, and again, investors need to keep in mind there's a difference between realized losses and unrealized losses or paper losses. Uh, maybe rule number one should should read more like never put all your eggs in one basket. Never But, put, but define never, that. Okay. Define that a little okay. bit more, okay, eggs in one basket. Never put 100% of your money in one asset class. How's that? Okay. Never put 100% of your money in stocks. Give us an asset class. Like, are Never. you talking sector specific, like no. all in real estate investment trusts or all in the material sector or all in technology? I think I think really the rule number one to me, and it kind of goes along the same lines as what you're talking about with keeping the hole shallow, is there's no, no such thing as never lose money. I mean, every investment – we have never had an investment decision that we've made – in the 25 years as Davidson Capital Management, every investment decision that we've made has not always made money. Some of those investment decisions have lost money. There isn't a single person on the planet that's made an investment decision that hasn't lost money at one time or the other. The the really successful people in investing never lose a lot of money. Now, keeping a that lot whole of money, shallow. keeping the whole shallow, as you were saying, and 2008 is is a great example of keeping the hole the, the hole as shallow as possible because we were never 100 percent invested in stocks that year, and we were also reducing stocks as that year went on, and so we 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 didn't suffer the 35 our clients' portfolios didn't suffer the 35 40. 50% losses that the investors that we saw come to us in 2009 and 2010, and we asked them, you know, how did you do in 2008? And they said, well, I lost 40% or I lost more than 40%. We knew right then and there that they had way too much money in stocks, if not their entire portfolio in stocks, and it wasn't being managed properly, obviously. That's, that's a key. It wasn't actively managed. It was, and again, that set it and forget it mentality that set and forget it portfolio and so the the rule number one that's never lose money and rule number two never forget rule number one is all fine and good but it's not realistic because if you're going to have a diversified portfolio of stocks and bonds cash and all different types of asset classes some of those asset classes aren't going to make money in a particular year some will 
Uh, some will be more successful than others, but I think it's unrealistic to expect to never to lose money in, in investing. Because if you if rule number one never lose money, that means you're never going to take risk. Which means you're, it, which means you're going to be you're going to own CDs. I, sorry to take your your thunder away there. You're going to own government bonds and hold them to maturity, or you're going to own CDs or cash, or you're going to have cash. Well, that I don't know too many investors that can reach their retirement goals uh, just by being in cash or government bonds. Well, and, and again, when you are invested and you're invested in the stock market, even the bond market, when you look at an unrealized gain and loss report, if you're showing some unrealized losses, those are paper losses. Those are losses that you have not taken. It's just on paper. It's just numbers. But that loss can be will become realized if you decide to sell out. And what happened to a lot of investors in 2008 is they watched the ride all the way down. And then they got to their maximum pain threshold, and what did they do? They sold. And for a lot of investors, after they did that sell and the selling they did, they have yet to get back in. That's why we continue to face the very thin market conditions, the whipsawing of the markets because there's fewer and fewer participants because they still have not gotten back in because they're still licking and, and taking care of their wounds from 2008 because they sold out and turned those unrealized losses to realized losses. But if they had a proper allocation and having their assets actively managed, they wouldn't have suffered as much pain and distress in their portfolio as we have seen doing our portfolio reviews and analysis of prospective clients. So, well, we're going to pause right there. We're going to take another commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after these words. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So continuing our investor education and talking about an article titled The Best Investment Advice Ever. And, you know, again, the old Warren Buffett saying, you know, rule number one, never lose money. Rule number two, never forget rule number one. And us just kind of really discussing how that's kind of unrealistic. Um, because like Jeff, like you said in the last segment, you're going to run into some type of losses, be it unrealized or realized losses at some point in time in your investing career, unless you're invested in cash, which isn't an investment, CDs, or government bonds. You know, you have to take a certain level of risk. You have to assume a certain level of risk to have the potential for capital appreciation and growth of your assets to meet your retirement goals or for whatever goals that you're saving for. And, Dad, I know that you wanted to, the big dog wanted to eat a little bit and had something to add to, to what we were just talking about. Well, I think I originally said this to you when you guys came into the business. Oh, you've been that, saying this f that, as that, long that, as that, I can remember. These were basic rules of investing. I, I honestly think this is a little bit of a Will Rogers comment. I, I'm not so sure that Warren Buffett didn't steal this from from, from Will Rogers. He never met a man he didn't like. And and and, and what th this means, you know, this is you know, this will be my 37th year, starting my 38th year of being a portfolio manager, not counting the four years as a broker and one year in graduate school. So you're going to add all that up, but. 
when I see this, what this really means to me is never lose big money. Never take big losses because you can't come back from them, whether it's financially or even psychologically. Hold on. Let me stop you right there. You just hit an important point. Psychologically. It's the psychological part part of this. Um, A lot of people get in investing. They get in the game, as Jim Cramer calls it. It's not a game. But they get in the game, and they have some moderate success, and then they start building their bet. They start pushing pushing the chips and further as they and build their bet, they will get to the point where they lose now to be successful, the one thing that I have learned in my thirty seven plus years to be successful in investing, you have to invest on a regular basis. you just can't do it once in a while and if and you need to take a number of positions because as you take positions, your batting average gets better. And to be successful, it isn't participating when the markets go up, as you said. It's not losing as much going down. So I believe my personal success as an investor has come with my ability to sell. I think I'm a lot better seller than I am a buyer. And and, and one thing that we say in this office, and this was definitely true in 2008, and of course, you know, this was prior to me joining the family's firm back. Jeff, I know you were here back during the dot-com bubble burst, bursting of the, of the dot-coms, um, is that when, cert- when the markets and times just don't make sense, when what's up is down and what's down is up, when there's times where the market doesn't make sense, it never hurts to get more liquid and lay in the weeds. I know that's an old saying, Dad, that I've heard come out of your mouth for years, way before I even joined the family business, that... It's okay sometimes to raise liquidity and lay in the weeds until things get a little clearer. Now, it's important for all investors to understand you're never going to have 100% clarity. The waters are never going to be 100% clear. There's always going to be some level of cloudiness, but in situations like the dot-coms, like 2008, uh, even like how you know how the markets have, have started off in the past couple of years, um, things get a little clouded and get a little bit more whipsawish. And sometimes it's better to just kind of raise some cash and lay back until things start to pan out and make a little bit more sense because that's what we've been dealing with is some just counterintuitiveness that we've been experiencing in the market for the past couple of years. You know, and this led me to what we were talking about earlier, rule number one, never lose money, never forget rule number one, this is rule number two. Well, if we were in an environment where government bonds was paying 9%, then a lot of people would be attracted to that. And and there and there's been times in my career when you could do that. And so there's a riskless return that would be that would be historically a good return. Unfortunately, that was occurring when inflation was at twelve, thirteen, fourteen. So you were losing, <laughs> losing to just inflation. like today. Mm-hmm. Just like today if you put too much in bonds versus what each individual person's inflation rate is. But What this really says is what y'all were talking about, is that if you're going to put all your eggs in one basket, if you're going to step out there and take that level of risk, then you are potentially putting yourself in a position to lose a substantial amount of your money and not have enough money to get back into the game, whatever game it is you're playing. 
So, but, but again, but again, we don't look at the market as no, a game. No, it's not a game. It's not a game at all. But if you are, if you're a trader, I would say a trader views the market somewhat as a game. I'd agree. If you're an investor, it's a serious game, and so each individual has to decide what type of is he a trader. Am I an investor, or is this trading money? Is this investing money? So you, there's various pools that you could be doing, but. One thing that you cannot do is you cannot sustain large losses and be a successful investor or trader. So whatever methods you use to reduce your losses, your risk, your risk, you're going to have to take that. And if you don't determine a system that allows you to do that, you are not going to be successful. In the long term, absolutely. And, and and see, that's the thing, Dad, is I think for some investors, maybe the traders that view the market as more of a game, more of action, more Vegas style, they have a couple of big wins where they knock it out of the park, and that boosts their confidence, that helps them boost their, their maybe their trading and investing ego psychologically. That's when they start pushing over pushing the chips further and further over the line and bigger amounts of chips, then they'd strike out. Then they take that loss and then their the psychological aspect of it might be a loss so bad that they say to heck with the stock market, I'm never getting involved in it again. And what we've always advocated and always tried to teach is about a proper balance, about diversification. As Jeff said, not putting all your eggs in one basket, spreading out that risk, or to use a technical term, spreading out your beta. But you can't just spread it out and forget it. You have to continue to actively manage it, actively monitor it. And if you don't, then you need to work with a firm that's going to do that. I learned many years ago that I was not a successful trader. Trading was not something that I was good at. I was good at looking at a longer picture. It fit my personality better to be an investor, plus by taking a longer-term view, thinking in terms in the stock market of actually owning the company that I was buying I found that that was more successful, and I learned that as a broker. I, I, I felt comfortable with that. What I didn't feel comfortable with was potential clients or new clients that had to have action because I don't necessarily think Wall Street is the best place to get action. I think you would be better off to go to Vegas because it doesn't require that much thinking if you need action. If you like to bet on football games. With, if you need that fix. If you need that. And there are people that need that. But it, Wall Street can be a very dangerous place for people that need that type of fix. I have not run into that many successful people who have traded the market. I've run into many successful investors, very few successful traders. Well, and I think some some other points you made just a few minutes ago when we talk about risk capacity, about taking a big hit to your portfolio, and again, for continuing investor education, the older you get, the closer you get to your retirement, I guess, date and time as far as your age, your risk capacity gets smaller and smaller and smaller. Um, you know, and I've run into people who have have very large risk, you know, very small risk tolerance, their personal aversion to risk, but they have huge risk capacity. And when you run into that situation, it's really they have their money invested very lazily. It's, it's very lazy money. 
it's very four and five percent returns when they should be taking advantage of their age. So the younger you are, the greater risk capacity you have. And so you have to really marry risk tolerance and risk capacity into one. Um, and that's, again, something else that we that we try to teach. So just understand, as you get older, your risk capacity gets smaller, and you have to have your portfolio managed and allocated in a way that reflects that risk capacity. What you see on CNBC, and we don't spend that much time watching any of the other channels, but what we see on CNBC is a parade of traders, mm. parade of people looking for action, daily action, weekly action. Fast money. Fast money. You know, everything is geared towards trading. trading. Mm-hmm. That is that segment of the market. That is not a segment that Davidson Capital Management has ever participated in or would feel comfortable being in. And so when we sit here and we talk about what we see, we don't necessarily feel that that type of program serves the public to the extent it could. That's right. Well, with that, we're coming to the bottom of the hour break. So we'll take the break and when we come back, we'll be continuing our investor education. And we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you have an investment-related question or topic you'd like for us to cover here on the Money Wise program, you can send all your emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So continuing talking about the best investment advice ever article that comes from Market Watch and the Wall Street Journal. Um, you know, Dad, I, as you were talking in the last segment, you know, you mentioned Jim Cramer's name. And I know there's a segment on his show that he loves to do where people call in and say, am I diversified? And they give him five stock names. And he'll either anoint it as being you're diversified or you're not diversified. And when I watch that, I, to me, it seems like it's a disservice to the investing public because what he is basically um, validating is that it's okay to put 20% of your money in one particular stock position, to hold five individual stocks, and as long as those five individual stocks are in five different industry sectors, then you're okay, you're safe. And I think that is some of the most dangerous advice you could possibly give with with his type of background and acumen as a money manager, or as a hedge fund manager, I should say. Well, I, I, I don't agree with it. Dangerous. Uh, it's dangerous if you don't watch your eggs real close if you only got five. Uh, <laughs> you're making, uh, you're mean, making big bets in, in on the, five in the, companies. In the beginning, in the beginning when I created uh, the philosophy, uh, it became apparent to me that I didn't ever want more than 5% in anything because I learned very quickly that if I bought 5% uh, of your assets in one individual well, position. Yes. If I bought 10 positions, 3.5 of them were going to be losers, but I loved all 10. Mm-hmm. And so when I got it out to 20, then I'm going to have six losers in normal markets. Mm-hmm. And the key was having the six losers not be big enough losers to overset the profits 
that were in the other 14. Well, if I'm Jim Cramer and five is my diversification, I sure hope it's not my six losers because then my every five, those whole five positions would be losers. So to me, that was not enough positions to be diversified. That was very concentrated. And to be that concentrated, I don't want you to think you're diversified. You are not diversified with five positions. I mean, you might you are, be you might be diversified in the sense that you're in five different industry sectors, but you're making a very large bet on one company in that and, industrial sector. And I'll tell sector. you something else. If you limit yourself to that few of positions, you're either going to do extremely well versus the market, or you're going to do extremely badly. You're, you're not going to crash do average. You're either going to do real well or real bad. So it's either a home run or a strikeout. Now, you can't build a business on real bad. Mm-mm. Now, he was successful as a hedge fund manager because he was a trader. He was not an investor. Long term to him could have been one day. So when you hear him discuss that, I mean, he can't do a show and do Am I Diversified and have someone giving 20 positions. So some of his Am I Diversified is for TV. For, well, it's for TV. He did it first on his radio show. Mm-hmm. That's where it started. He did that on the radio show. Now, he used to do radio and TV, and his radio show was really a whole lot better than the TV show. He didn't do all that screaming and jumping around like he does, and he would just talk, which I found better for investors to listen to. He was more investor-oriented as opposed to trading. So us saying that we believe you ought to have 20 positions gets back to this fact that we don't want more than 5% of any person's assets in one position. And we say that even in your company stock. If you're investing in your company stock, the stock where you work. Through your 401k. Yeah, we don't want more than 5% of your retirement money in the company stock. And I don't care how great the stock is. Because I happen to have seen times in my life where I worked for companies where people put a lot much, lot more in that, and then the companies went out of business. They not only lost their job, but they lost their retirement. And I, I can tell you that Jeff and I see this doing portfolio, doing portfolio reviews a lot with the petroleum industry employees, putting a lot of their retirement nest egg through 401ks in their company stock. And it's great to be supportive and it's great to love where you work and love who your employer is but you also have to kind of be a little selfish and think about your own retirement needs and your own retirement nest egg and not take too big of a bet because again harkens back to Enron it harkens back to WorldCom I mean it harkens back to those employees years ago who lost their nest egg because there was a lot of cheerleading from upper level management to buy keep keep funneling as much money in it as possible not saying that any companies in existence today are you know doing some of the fraudulent things that that these companies were doing but you always have to look out for kind of number one i mean you have to look out for number one when you're saving for retirement and you know another thing that i like to teach particularly when it comes to long-term investing and when it comes to performance I always like to use the analogy is you have to look at your investment returns like a batting average, like a batting average for a baseball player. You know, let's use Ted Williams or let's use Tony Gwynn. Uh, you know, rest, may he rest in peace. Let's use him as an example. You know, baseball players can get into the Hall of Fame 
with having a great lifetime batting average, but throughout their career, throughout the lifetime of them stepping up to the plate, they're going to have years where they underperform, where they don't have a good year at the uh, up at the plate, and they don't bat very well, and they have low numbers. And then they're going to have other years where they have some average years. And then they're going to have some great years where they're knocking the cover off the ball. But what determines whether or not a baseball player gets into the Hall of Fame is their lifetime batting average, and it's the combination of all of those years and how they've performed. It's the same thought process and the same thought pattern you need to have when it comes to investing. You're going to have some below-average years. You're going to have some just average years, and you're going to have some great years. But the key is is to have more great years than bad and average years to get your portfolio to the Hall of Fame. Well, Here's a little commercial coming in here. 25, this is our 26th year, and I was talking about I'm starting my 38th year as a manager. There was 12 years in there before Davidson Capital Management was formed in which I developed our philosophy, and I developed it managing money under three or four different corporate situations where I learned what was working and what wasn't working. And, you know, I learned on other people's money, so to speak. But I learned through those years that 100% equity made no sense. 100% bond made no sense. But the two could work together in combination. But what I found was there wasn't, there were fixed income people and there were stock people. There wasn't both. You didn't see the hybrid. You didn't see the manager that could do both sides. And so as I, as I developed our philosophy, I learned that it made more sense to be 10 years and under. It made more sense to stick with quality because by sticking with quality, you took risk out. By having stocks and bonds, you took risk out. And by doing that, you raised your batting average. You made the hole shallower when you were losing in stocks you were making in bonds. And so... In the beginning, oh, yeah, everyone knows the most money you can make is to be 100% in the stock market. And it works really good until 1987 rolls around and it goes down 25% in one day. That doesn't work very well. That wipes out a number of years in about four hours. And you learn, hey, this doesn't make a lot of sense. And same thing in the late 90s. Oh, yeah, it was wonderful when the dot-coms were going crazy, but it didn't look real good late in 2000, 2001, and two. And, you know, staying the course was really great in January, February, March of 2008. It wasn't very great in November, December 2008. Or, or January, February. there might not be a course to <laughs> stay. Nine. You might not have had enough course to, to, to have a meal. Well, and, and again, that goes back to what we talked about a few segments ago about the psychological damage. And I know that we've talked on past shows here on Money Wise where we've talked about the psychological effects when you take these kind of losses and how, again, it, it creates that emotion and that fear. And when fear and emotion start combining into your portfolio, it keeps you sitting on the sidelines or it keeps you less invested in stocks to to really try to achieve and reach your goal for whatever you're saving for. And we're still seeing that today. I mean, again, we're seeing it today because we see the volatility. If there's more participants, more investors in this market, more mom-and-pop investors, we wouldn't see this extreme levels of volatility that we've been seeing. 
if we tax day trading, we wouldn't have this extreme volatility. Or if having. we tax high frequency trading or got Which high would, frequency well, trading under control. That's that's what I'm saying. That would take care of that problem. The problem is is that high frequency trading is paying the note for the New York Stock Exchange. That's how they're making their money. They are never going to go against that. For something to change in that market, it's going to have to come from outside. It's not going to come from within Wall Street. Well, really, what we have to have, Dad, is we have to have a nonprofit exchange. We have to well, have yeah. a nonprofit. You exchange. guys will see that. I'm, I'm you think Jeff and I will see? A I really think you. Will, I really think you in will our career see that in your lifetime, you will see a national market. I mean, because that will take away the incentive for the high frequency yes. trading. I, I, and it'll be I welcome. It'll be somewhere in the central part of the country, away from Wall Street. I, I welcome that day. I welcome the day to where we see a nonprofit exchange and maybe just a one central exchange. Let me correct him. Jeff may not see it. I think you will see it, Kyle. <laughs> well, we're not that far away in age, so it's only about ten, less than ten, 10 years. years in there. All right. Well, let's take our last commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after these words. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-275. Two one six two, and if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So going back to this article, there was a couple of other statements, and these actually come from Ben Franklin, and and one of them is an investment in knowledge pays the most interest. And again, one of the reasons why we started this radio show back in late two thousand and five was. Because it gave us a podium, it gave us a platform to provide education because there's just, uh, there's such a lack of education out there. And it seems like a lot of the education that is available has a particular bent. You know, it's trying to push you in a certain direction as an investor to buy an investment product that's being sold by the uh, financial legacy distribution system you know, as we like to call it. It always seems that education is kind of pushing you one direction or another, and we're trying to provide unbiased education. And as we always say to all investors is that, you know, there are so many tools available online for you to educate yourself. You know, when a, a pitch sounds too good to be true, it, it most likely is, and there's a lot of vehicles out there to help you to educate yourself. And so as Benjamin Franklin says, an investment in knowledge pays the most interest. You really have to you have to really let that kind of soak into you and utilize the tools available. You know, if you want to look up the broker that you're working with, go to brokercheck.com. You know, someone's pitching you an investment product. Before you sign on the line and which is dotted, look it up. Do some research. Educate yourself. You know, as we say, if you can't explain it to a five-year-old or a 10-year-old in two or three minutes and get them to understand that then you're probably, it's not a good idea to buy. Um, Another statement is beware of expenses. A small leak will sink a great ship. And boy, how many times have we seen that, Jeff? You know, expenses is 
one thing that is easiest to control if you understand that you're getting charged more more fees than than you think you are to begin with. And I see this a lot with we see this a lot with annuities. Um, annuities, I think, are probably one of the biggest drains. challenges. I would say drains on, know, on assets. The biggest challenges to a portfolio being successful is is owning an annuity inside that portfolio, because you're you're basically guaranteeing that you will never even equal a market average performance. Because the fees and expenses built into the 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 annuity itself, even if it has the best possible investment options, and trust me, the average annuity does not have the best the best uh, investment choices possible. When you add up average investment choices with high expenses, you're guaranteed to be below average consistently year after year after year after year. And they're still sold. They're they're still successfully selling them to investors every single day. And we've in the ten years that we've done this show, we've almost made this our personal uh, mission. Mission. There you go. <laughs> it's a personal mission. To, to, crusade. To, yeah, I like that. To steer crusade. people away from these types of investments. Now, there's also many other violators. You know, aver- uh, uh, the the average loaded mutual fund carries uh, an initial sales charge that's equal to multiple years of professional full-time investment management just to buy into the mutual fund itself. They, you know, a minimum, you know, anywhere from 2 to 3% to almost as much as 6% uh, is very common in an upfront sales charge. Another thing is buying stocks. You know, just buying stocks through a full service broker. And you're you're the average ticket price that I see from an from a full service broker is about two percent of the gross purchase. And that is outrageous. So, you know, for five thousand dollar purchase, you're paying two hundred and fifty dollars in transaction costs. I mean that's 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 a that's Twenty times more. That's twenty times more you'd pay at a at a at a discount brokerage firm. You better be getting good advice if you're paying that kind of fee. Well, well, if that broker is giving you good advice and covers the two percent, that's one thing. But you and I both know, unfortunately, the vast majority of them do not. Well, the one thing again, talking about fees and and what I I like to to do for any individual investor out there is to understand the two big types of fees. You have your hard dollar fees and your soft dollar fees. Your hard dollar fees are your upfront commissions. You know, those are the commissions that you see when you buy that mutual fund or you buy that stock and you pay that commission and you see it come right off the right off the top. You see that difference in what you're investing and what you actually paid and what was actually invested. That's a hard dollar cost. But where annuities, where non traded real estate investment trusts uh, where even mutual funds, once you get past that initial sales fee, really get their investors or get their clients is on the soft dollar side. Those are the fees that are accrued daily and taken out daily that you never see. When you get your statement from your, annu- from your annuity, 
that's net of those soft dollar fees. When you get a statement about your stocks or your individual mutual funds, it's net of those soft dollar fees. Those are the fees that you don't see. Those are the fees that you also need to be asking about. And if you're sitting down and someone's pitching you an annuity and you ask them, well, what are the soft dollar charges, they're not going to know what to do. They're not going to know what to do, and they're going to start trying to provide you with the half-truths of what you're actually well, they're, spending. Well, they're going to focus on these guaranteed returns. The G word. Yeah, the, yeah they're going to focus on the G word. Which, again, is not a guarantee. It's just a promise, and it's only as good as the company providing the promise. They're going to say, don't you want... 5% a year guaranteed income for the rest of your life. Don't you want that, Mr. or Mrs. Customer? And it's not quite that simple. Nope. And what they're talking about is the published interest rate, which changes monthly. It's just that hook to get you to sign on that line, and which is dotted to get you into that long surrender charge penalty period so they can lock your assets up. So you have to understand the difference between hard dollar costs and soft dollar costs. And soft dollar costs are in the prospectus. Soft dollar costs are in the information, but you have to know what you're looking for, and you have to dig deeper, as we've always said from day one on this program. And to really summarize this hour is you have to dig deeper well, and use the tools available to educate yourself before yeah, number, you make that number investment Number one, decision. be diversified. Number two, know what you own. Do the research, dig deeper, as you say, and number three, have a always have a mind on what it's costing. That's right. Okay, and with that, we'd like to thank everyone for listening to this weekend's Money Wise program. Again, if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you could reach us at nine zero six zero zero seven zero or toll free at one eight hundred two seven five. 2162. For my father, John, and my brother, Jeff, this is Kyle Davidson saying have a fantastic weekend. And to your financial health, we will talk to you next week.